Good morning, Cross Train Church, and happy 4th of July weekend. This is the first of a three-part message entitled E Pluribus Unum. My name is Jeff Dawkins. I'm one of the elders at Cross Train, and I have the privilege of delivering these messages to you over the weekend. The hope is that you'll be able to use the messages and work with your family or people that you're hanging out with over the weekend and really digest what God's doing through what we're going to talk about today. So let me start by praying for us in our time. Lord Jesus, thank you that you gave us a country that we could have as our own, so we could have the freedom to worship you in the manner that we choose and not be told who to believe or how to believe. Lord Jesus, I pray right now that you use this message to open the eyes of the people that are reading their Bibles and open their ears. Most importantly, Lord, I pray that you open their hearts to what it is you're doing for them through your word and in our country. Thank you, Lord, in the name of Christ I pray, amen. So, a little background. In 1782, the motto, E Pluribus Unum, was adopted as part of the Great Seal by Congress. The Latin phrase means, out of many, one. Over the weekend, we're gonna think about America's independence and founding as a country, and I'm gonna challenge you to spend some time with your family and friends and the Lord to dwell on this. As I mentioned, this is the first of a three-part vignette seminar, really, talking about a single scriptural truth. We're gonna explore three parts of that as we look at our country's foundation motto. I'm gonna guide you through discussions that hopefully you'll continue with your family and friends and other people that you're vacationing with through the weekend. You'll need your Bible, a love for our country, and a willingness to talk over some different ideas I'll have one main question for you each day, Friday through Sunday, to leave you with to work on. And this will prepare you for the next day. So, how does the Bible show this as a topic for discussion? The Pew Research Study shows in over 200 countries there exists approximately 2.18 billion Christians. That's billion with a B of all ages in the world. And some suggest over 37 million Christian churches worldwide. 37 million all proclaiming the basic truth of historic Christianity and all ascribing authority, intellectually at least, to Jesus as the risen Son of God. And all through the world, different systems of government exist. Different measures for how people define success are both accepted and chaste. Different values are placed on training and teaching of the Word of God. Why? If everybody is anchored to one single truth and one Savior, then why is there such diversity, especially in the body of Christ? The founding of our country in 1776 brought together 13 colonies of people who fled England for religious freedom. That's the basis of foundation for our country. And I encourage you to watch the Kirk Cameron documentary on this exact idea in the movie Monumental. It's very family friendly and shows the beginning of America as a people desperately seeking the Lord to worship in a way that they saw appropriate. So the phrase E Pluribus Unum actually was first noted not in America, but in Gentleman's Magazine. It was a magazine that was circulated in London in 1731. It was known to the literate people in about 1770s. The annual volume combining the 12 magazine editions for that year in 1776 featured a picture of a hand holding a bouquet of flowers with E Pluribus Unum next to it. It was originally intended to show America as likened to a bouquet of different flowers where unity and individuality coexisted. 
as opposed to the melting pot that blended everyone together. Well, the people of America were captured by that spirit of the message. They had just left England and they incorporated it into the founding doctrinal statements for the beginning of our new country. And this is all foundation. In 1782, the Great Seal was commissioned and approved by Congress. This is the iconic symbol of the United States of America. On the front, it displays the nation's bird, a bald eagle, with a scroll in its beak stating, E pluribus unum flowing through. I am highlighting this right now in my shirt today. The collection of 13 stars in a cloud rests above, and the talons hold both a bundle of 13 arrows and an olive branch. This rich history is steeped in pursuit of God and a longing to get back to his unifying, reconciled presence. Well, throughout the weekend, we're going to learn about one God's plan and purpose for his people as seen through his word through a breakout of Revelation chapter 5 and other scripture. As a short background on Revelation, Revelation is the last book of the Bible written by the Apostle John, not John the Baptist, around AD 95 or 96 from his exile on the island of Patmos by the Romans for evangelizing the gospel of Jesus. And this is after he was boiled in oil. Patmos, for the, the location reference, is locating, located off the west coast of what's now Turkey. Well, John was exiled there presumably by himself, just one man, and presumably allowed to return, according to extra biblical history, to the city of Ephesus after Nero's reign. He was the emperor of Rome who exiled him. And the new emperor, uh, Domitian, took over for the last few years of Paul's life. We believe he was in Ephesus. This is how the letter got out. Well, this weekend's main theme, or the big idea, is how God reconciled a world of diversity into a heaven of unity one day. The first part of the driving statement on this thought for you to chew on today is this concept. So the first message concept is out of many that are seeking while lost. So open if you're able to Revelation 4 and listen as I read verses 9 through 11. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. All creatures in this passage are giving glory to God in his presence. And the 24 elders, representing the saved people groups in the world, fall down. And in verse 11 they say, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. God created everyone and everything. Fact. Everyone who ever was, all that acknowledge him and all that do not, everyone will bend a knee and worship him at that time for creating us from the beginning. The prophet Jeremiah, speaking to Jerusalem, prophesied this in chapter 3, verse 17 of his letter. And it reads, At this time they'll call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations will be gathered to it, to Jerusalem, for the name of the Lord. The Lord will redeem a new heaven on earth, a new Jerusalem. This is what Jeremiah was foretelling. God is worthy of all praises for all people at all times, and that single truth should drive us. And it shouldn't drive us as 
someone looking for a new house or a better rate on your mortgage or more money or even to pick a fight between political parties or even to advance a Christian social justice issue or see it prevail. But it should, however, challenge us in our perspective because people in the world have a perspective problem without Christ. The pursuit of power and money and possessions ranks one person as better than another. Those are never measures that the Lord uses when looking at the world. And, and I want to encourage you, listen now as I read Revelation 5, verses 1 through 4. That's where we're going to spend our time today. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. John records no one in heaven, earth, or even under the earth could open the book to usher in the new kingdom. John had a vision of the throne room. He saw the glory of the Lord. And to think that no one would be able to open the book to usher in the salvation that he had been counting on and looking forward to absolutely drove John to weeping as he ate for the people to get just one second of he was experiencing in that moment. The vision that he knew in his heart was real. He knew the people would not get. Do I grieve that way for my family? Do you? Do we grieve that way for our spouses? For our children, our grandchildren? Do we grieve that way knowing with an ache in our hearts that our co-workers or unsaved people, pre-Christians, don't have that kind of hope. Do we grieve that way? Listen to what Daniel says in chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. And this shows another look at what John experienced. And this is when Daniel had a vision of the Lord in heaven. And it reads, I kept looking until thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him. And myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat and the books were open. The first part of Revelation chapter 5 exposes the objective truth. No one anywhere of any gender or gender desire, of any race, of any sexual identity, of any status of money, power, or age. No one anywhere can reconcile the administration of God's planned salvation. So connect this with what Paul says in his letter to the church at Ephesus. Ephesians 2, 11 and 12 reads, Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So as we draw to a close on this first part, here's a scriptural truth that I want to leave you with today. The Lord has left us scattered throughout the earth. Those who would claim his name as exiles from the coming heaven living life with the unsaved. Galatians 4.4 4 shows us that at the appointed time Jesus entered the world, 
and began to preach the ushering in of his Father's kingdom on earth. To bring all in diversity into his holy unity, he first had to claim his throne and then break every one of the individual idols on their own thrones. This is the first part of the disclosure to his people unpacked in the first part of Revelation chapter 5. So this is the end of the message for today. I encourage you to reread Revelation 4, 9 through 5, 4 as a basis for the discussion today. That scripture can be found in numerous places, including at our website at www.crosstrain.church. If you see the notes that are located on our website under the weekly resources, you can find the takeaway discussion to work through together. Let me read it for you. How do you see yourself as both different and the same with those around you, Christian and non-Christian? Are there idols in your own lives which need to crash down to give Jesus his rightful place? How can you move in grateful humility to the idol-smashing work in preparation for the way of the Master? And parents, how can you rightly divide the word of truth to show your children the walkway of this narrow path? I encourage you to engage one another. Talk about what life is like without a central higher authority guiding your path. Now talk about living life for what God wants only. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the authority in our lives. Thank you that wrestling through this truth is not something we should fear, but that we should push into. Lord, I pray for the discussions to be plentiful and deep as the men, women, and children come to the one objective truth that Jesus is Lord and Lord of all. In your name we pray. Amen. Make sure you check in tomorrow for the second part of the message.